This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Marina Sirtis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. T.L. Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week. Guys, does the bridge look a little different to you? I'm, it's, I'm sensing a blue theme. Everything's very blue. Did Elkars get, like, updated or something? Hey, is, uh... Did anyone want the champagne? I mean, like, I just found it. But, I, I, like, it was just there. So, I'm just finished off right here, guys. You know, you, uh, I didn't have any champagne, but I did feel a little drunk. Because, you know, like, sometimes when you're walking downstairs and you you kind of forget that there's one final step. <laughs> and you kind of do that stumble. You missed well, that was, last step. Yeah, I was heading towards the back of the bridge, and I expected to go up, and no, apparently no, it's just, it's pretty, it's a pretty even plane. I don't, this is weird. This Guys, is there's strange. something wrong with my seat. <laughs> well, see, my two co-hosts, Admiral Daniel Prue and Admiral Philip Gilfus, they're sitting in some loner chairs we added into the back wall. Guys, guys, I'm, I don't know, I'm nervous about starting this podcast. Should I use a thinly attached analogy to start? I don't think Darren can cut it. Let's take over, Daniel. But how about how about promoting our Patreon thirty times? Is that is that the way to start it? The real cap the real captain will get here on Tuesday. So look, guys, just come come sit. Okay, whoa. Uh, thinly attached analogies to start aren't the only thing we're talking about here on Earl Grey, but. You would think we would be talking about generations based off of that clearly generations-inspired introduction. But no, we are actually working our way back through some of our favorite enterprises. There are many. Some would say five. Some would say more. But today, we're going to talk about the 1701B for Barricade. Just kidding. Not Star Trek V. But we are going to be talking about the Excelsior-class starship, way bigger than Kirk's Enterprise. I mean, oh dang, look at that size of that thing. But, you know, some would say, Darren, is there enough content to talk about the Enterprise? B and I say, I don't pay attention to things like that. I pick (laughs) topics that I love. And we are going to talk about this great starship. Uh, So, first impressions on the Enterprise B, the first time we see it. It's a familiar face as it's based off of the Excelsior. Daniel, what were your first thoughts when this ship was struck, accosted, some would say, by a Dom Perignon uh, wine, not a Picard Chateau? Chateau Because (laughs) how long did we think that? Uh, Anyway, but uh, in Generations, we first saw it. What were your first thoughts? I've made it no secret that the Excelsior class is kind of the ugly stepchild of the uh, Enterprise line of ships. Uh, They're all quite beautiful, and then you get to the B, and it's just like, whoa, 
what happened here? It's it's almost like maybe two of the previous Enterprises that were related had a, a child when they shouldn't have, and it came out all weird. Um, yeah, I know. I'm again. I'm stretching analogies now too, but that's um, all we do here on O'Gray. Yeah, you know, emergency power to analogy generators. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to be all negative. I don't like the design of the Excelsior. It's to me again. It looks like the. It's okay. So you know how this new thing is like the dad bod. I think that the Excelsior <laughs> class is the dad bod of oh, Starfleet vessels because it's. You know, it's dumpy and it's frumpy and it's got this big midsection and it doesn't look particularly quick or maneuverable. It doesn't look sleek and sexy. It doesn't, you know, it just it just kind of looks tired. But again, I'm not going to focus on the negative. I will say uh, I will say a few positives. Um, I really like the uh, what will become known as like the Deep Space Nine Voyager tealish color that it's striped with mm. i do really like that that's pretty cool um yeah so that's a positive go enterprise beach <laughs> go away he said i'll save my I'll, I'll save my thoughts for the uh for the third moment okay philip uh what do you think of our like you see what if the if the c is our father then the B is like what our great grandfather. I think something I think it's like the uncle that. We don't talk about. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not you too, yeah. Philip. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I really enjoyed that. Um, in generations, we got to see the B. I mean, I love that. You know, of course, this being a TNG podcast, I, I can talk up TNG. The TNG gave us all the Enterprises, like literally. You know, I mean, there was the 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 original and the A in the movies. But B, C, and D, and E are all featured in the next generation. You know, it's not like we left, you know. Cut in half and splashed on a it's wall. It's not like Deep Space Nine came up with the War Enterprise or something. You know, that, that, that would have been crazy. <laughs> um, nice. Nice. I like what you did there. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, I love that. The, Is that the one with Riker's got a giant beard and he goes, we won't go back. <laughs> we won't go back. Yes. <laughs> But but I but I do love that um you know it did fill that gap you know and, and did br- I mean I know I'm this is being very uh, obvious it did bridge that generation um between <laughs> Kirk's error and and you know, not necessarily Picard's error but 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 at least filling that gap and as far as the look I both like it and find it confusing because I like the look of the Enterprise B because you know and, and I know Daniel loves um, classes of ships that don't look alike. So like just like there's a constitution and a constitution. Did you hear the asterisk in my voice? Um, there's an Excelsior and then there's an Excelsior class. And so the Enterprise B is a Excelsior class, um, which they're like. I heard the pause that. And time. they're like, man, since this ship killed Kirk, let's not use this construction method for another hundred and fifty years. And then it's like, oh, the little coda, let's use it again. Um, you know, because that's sort of the joke that. We've seen Excelsiors all through TNG and in the you know TOS movies, um, Excelsior literally, and then the Excelsior class vessels um, in TNG with the hood and everything else, um, Crazy Horse, all of them, um, and you know then it's like no, the Enterprise B looked different for some reason. You know, it's a movie, guys. It's a movie, okay. Um, and so, but but I mean, again, I liked it just from that continuity, continuity perspective. It did throw me off, but but I I, I enjoy you know because it makes. From Star Trek, uh, what is it, uh, 3? You know, when we see the Excelsior for the first time, 
Um, and, and the great experiment. And Sully just starts drooling <laughs> over it. Um, it will be mine. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know that is the next step in in, in Starship construction. And so you know it's a logical uh, that that would be the next Enterprise. But but no, I, it I, is. Yeah yeah. You know, well look, you know. Daniel, I know they could put wheels on your grandma and she'd be a wagon, but still, I think <laughs> new generations, new ideas, be tolerant. Well, I think overall, I, I think I, I kind of like the overall look of the the bee. It has, I think, I think it looks good at a lot of angles, except for the bow elevation. Then I think it just looks dumb, like <laughs> the the. It, I always felt, I mean, I know it didn't do that, but because of like the ribbing on the next section, I kind of always felt like it was like, if you ever see a robot that's in like a, a like a plant that builds cars or something, it, it has this kind of same accordion like uh, sleeve over it to let it telescope in and out and protect, you know, the, the pieces inside. And it always looked like that, like when they went to warp, maybe the saucer like dropped four decks and sunk into the... And it just, it doesn't look very balanced. It's very boatish. Um, and the, and compared to the D, like the, the deflector dish is really tiny. But, but overall, I mean, I, I enjoyed the it. The Enterprise it's, B I, is an any. The original Enterprise well, is an and Audi. That's the funny, <laughs> and that's the funny thing about it too, right? It's like, it's the only ship that has this, like, it's not even like a little recessed. It's, it's like it's twelve miles inside of the ship, <laughs> and then there's this big hole that I don't think out I for. want the the quarters that's like above the deflector, you know. <laughs> yeah, like think of the radiation. You have some Barkley esque, you know, crewman who's just like, "Sir, I can't, I can't stay in this room. I, think I have space cancer." Or you could like you could see the people across from you that also have the, <laughs> the, yeah, the space radiation, <laughs> the, the radiation buddies. Well, I had the, the model of this. I remember putting this together with my dad and I always felt this kind of top section looked like a chain. Like it was like a chainsaw, like a circular buzzsaw. Like it would run and it would spin and like cut into, you know, the, uh, the scimitar. I think it would cut in way better than the Enterprise-E because it would you know, spin. But anyway, well... You, it's funny that you talk about how the I'll call them the cheeks. That's but you know the of the the extra bits they added to the sides of the Enterprise B were actually to protect the model because that's the part that gets destroyed and hit by the Nexus. That way they could damage that part and then remove it and have a perfectly fine Excelsior model. Unfortunately, the addition damaged the model, so they left it on. So that's why the Lakota as the cheeks because the model now is not transformable back to the original Excelsior type. Uh, and they added some more impulse engines and a couple of now, things. If, if we're going to go off Daniel's metaphor, would we call that the love handles of the Excelsior? <laughs> That's exactly what I was going is. with cheeks like a, <laughs> like a puffed out cheek, but love handles uh, sounds a little better. Um, but yeah, so this 547 meter long, 32 deck, 502 oh, 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 crew oh, oh. member. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> More uh, nacelles. You know, More nacelles. Starship <laughs> improvement over nacelles here. Nacelles for days. <laughs> I mean, these things just went on and on and on. But 
you know, as, as much as we have, you know, pros and cons in the design, uh, I mean, it, it apparently stands the test of time in the Federation because this thing is everywhere. It's running, it's still in service for like a hundred freaking years. Uh, but it's, I mean, we've seen many, uh, let's see what other ships we have. Obviously the hood, our companion vessel to the enterprise D there's the Lakota Excelsior. Like we see this thing everywhere. I mean, they like probably lost half of the Excelsior fleet in the Battle of Wolf Three Five, and no one even noticed. There was just so many left over. I wonder, see, because I'm in my DS9 rewatch, and I've already, you know, asked the first great battle, Dominion battle. You know, when they retake Deep Space Nine. Of course, I know there's another one near the season seven, but that's a while. But I, I'm, now I'm going to look out because the weirdest things I always feel feel like I, I spot the Miranda vessels, which makes no sense in a battle. Um, but now I'm going to look out <laughs> for the Excelsior because I feel like that should be the next common ship. Yeah, it's pretty common. I remember seeing it a lot, and especially, like you said, in Deep Space Nine, I mean, they, they're packing the ship models in the background, and there's always... I feel like there's a lot of Excelsiors. There's a couple of Galaxy class. I'd never see any other Constitutions. I, maybe there are, but I don't see them. No, I, and then I, it's like sabers and kit bashes and all sorts of other things floating around. Just sticking with uh, what we see in the movie... Um, one thing I do appreciate about the, the kind of representation we get on screen of the, of the enterprise B is it is the first time we really get scale kind of conveyed in a, in a meaningful way on screen. Of course, you know, the, you know, this, the original star Trek didn't have any means to do it. Uh, and then they never kind of explored that even in, uh, the first five movies, six movies, I should say, sorry. Um, but then, you know, when that shot of when uh, Scotty comes down and, or Chekhov comes My down. My God, and was talks. anyone in here? Yeah. <laughs> and then it pulls back and, and then you actually get to see the size of a human being. Right. Compared to the size of the actual ship. And that was, that was another thing I was going to say. Um, the Enterprise. In that sense, the motion picture where they climb out the saucer do we really ever see that yeah yeah that's true i i sometimes but i mean that's a matte painting so right, it's kind of exactly. hard it's to the angles are all or weird first contact when they're walking or first contact when they actually go on but that does it a little bit better but of course it's later on so that's a little different but um it was you know it's just and that also kind of for some reason the model of the enterprise uh, of the excelsior class and the uh, Galaxy class are the two classes of Starship that we get in TNG or in general in Star Trek. I feel like, for, for me, like it's it might be because they kind of look the fattest, but they also kind of look the biggest. Like the, yeah. I think the Excelsior, and I know it's not true, but I feel like the Excelsior is bigger than the C. And I definitely feel like the D is bigger than the E, even though we know... That's actually in a, in some ways is not true. But no, they look no. Like the, the E is ship. the E is dwarfed by the D. The D is so big. Well, right, but I'm even um, like even in length that we're told that the E is. I just feel like the E would be much much smaller. Than well, the see the D, E's on that. What's that that exercise program? All those guys are on that brag about it all the time. <laughs> that, that's what the E's on. The CrossFit. Yeah, E's, E's Cross on CrossFit. <laughs> You know, the D's yeah. a little chubby. Let's let's we can be frank. You know, we like it. Oh, great course, personality. Yeah. Great personality, D. But E is yeah. definitely on CrossFit. 
Well, see, the thing is with the the Enterprise D, it it just it has the nacelles right at the back of the ship, whereas the E is like, well, we got to make it longer, so let's just keep the nacelles going. I mean, if you're counting ship length, it's shorter and it's not as tall, so it's so not counting nacelles, the E is not as long and not as tall. It has way less decks. I think it's like thirty something, whereas the, the that depends D is like on which 42. movie you watch. And bottomless pit. Yeah, it's true. But and, uh, but um the E well you gotta actually, have that bottomless pit. The E actually has the nacelles most reminiscent of the B. Yes, just, uh, that's you know, true. Randomly. But but that's just you know in both in both kind of uh, obviously the size ratio and and position as well. I would say really well, it's, you know in TNG terms, anyways. Yeah, this says the uh, the E has forty or twenty four decks, which is almost half of what the D has. Yeah. Um, anyway, but we're not talking about the Enterprise E and its uh, issues. But uh, you know, but I, I do agree with the the like the tapered, you know, kind of trailing back design of of those nacelles do match more like what we get in the B. Yeah, and and when you talk about the scale, especially generations, and I almost think they maybe not that they overdid it, but I almost feel like they sort of like this is what the B slash Excelsior looks like, but then no one ever else ever followed it. Because like you're right, it does seem so big. And of course it's funny when we because the D is bigger and the D doesn't necessarily feel as big as the B does. Because for one thing, the B seems like it steers like a cow for one thing. That thing does not turn. Um but also it does seem like <laughs> You're talking about the last the end shot yeah. of which is like, I know. like it's it's kind of tail f- uh fish tailing in space <laughs> is it the red light there comes flashing? the bucket of boats yeah. um but but also i can almost see with the b in generations like the concept of the carrier group because the b seems like a right. carrier like you'd have maybe these small you know vessels that would go with the b like it would it really would be its own fleet or you know, a carrier group would be the better term. I'm not. I'm not right. Navy. Sorry, a support folks. support. Yeah, craft. yeah, and and so like you could see that with the B because it just does seem like it has that that bulk and that bigness to it. Well, and a lot of the in Star Trek, you know, literature and such, they talk about often the Excelsior classes are what go on the long term like deep space missions where you got to load up, you know, submarine style to the rafters with all your supplies. Well, wait, no, we got replicators. Uh, we fill up with sand or some <laughs> inert material we can reconfigure into and if you're going to, into any expanses those those catwalks on the excelsiors will fit the entire crew like three other yes. crews possibly plus some yeah. <laughs> well especially with a crew of like 500 that's i mean that's not a lot more than Kirk had, because something they say often that Kirk like they packed him in on those old constitutions. Well, in some ways, the Excelsior design, I'd have to watch the movie again because it has this the, the secondary hall, if that's what we call, or do you call that the primary? Anyway, the the, the, the not saucer part, because um, it has it has that sort of t- called the secondary. Yeah, the sec- hall. that's what I thought. Yeah. The secondary hall. Which always threw me off because I always felt like it primary had been anyway. But it has that sort of tape. Is the bridge there, yeah. Philip? It only has it no. only has the third of it is actual decks and then two-thirds of the ship is just like three decks i mean sure it's more than that but that's what it looks like like it's just all like shuttle like the shuttle bay is like the whole two-thirds of the ship or something but as so enterprise b i mean we're going to be talking about enterprise b and excelsior class a lot i mean i would when are we going to talk about the most famous reindeer of all captain john (laughs) harriman 
I mean, when, yeah, let's talk when about you're talking cats. about let's Enterprise about captains, the... I mean, <laughs> there's people who say Kirk and Picard. I know that's a classic argument. Look, this is where Harriman completely loses it. So, we have to say off um, but let's talk about the timeline of the Enterprise B. So, in 2293, Undiscovered Country, the Enterprise A is decommissioned, and we commission in 2293, which is a little strange over the overlap, but that is when Generations takes place. And we have a brand new captain, brand new, probably never been outside orbit, uh, Captain John Harriman, who supposedly was helped in the design and build you know, construction of the Enterprise B. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to challenge your your timeline here. Am I to understand that Generations takes place the same year that Star Trek VI does? Uh, well, here's the thing. Oh, Lordy. I mean, it says commissioned. I, I don't know what commissioned. I know. I don't know if that is like... That means launched. So then, yeah, that would be the same year. Like, that would so, be, like, second start of the right and straight on till morning, and then I got to get to this thing for this press conference thing, and... Well, here's the Wait, problem. When did, is... when did Sulu find time for a family? <laughs> hey, he made the time, okay? <laughs> if By it's slingshotting around the sun. make the time, Philip. That's a lot. how it works. <laughs> well, here's the tricky part. Um, Darren's Star Trek chronology... <laughs> Uh, was written in 93. So Generations isn't even exist yet. So it's definitely not in here. Well, you know it's to... 78 years before season 8 of TNG. Well, I'm not that good <laughs> at math, so we're going to have to figure that out. Hang on. But... Memory Alpha will come to our rescue. 2293, it looks like it was, was when it became active. Right, but look into... But see... According to this, which would be correct, the events of Star Trek VI... Oh, those crazy 90s. Yeah, Undiscovered Country takes place in 2293. Uh, let's see what... And I don't think they would have it printed here, but then change it. I mean, they could. Well, what year What year did, did Undiscovered Country... Uh, come out was it 93 this statement establishes a time frame for the film from 2292 to 2293 this film uh, for for undiscovered country so yeah it's literally either just about a year or possibly maybe a few months more than that but we knew that the enterprise was going to be decommissioned but this is the it's not like we're like surprised they had one you know but it ready seem, to go. It seems surprising, like that it was so quick. Jim, the Enterprise is over forty years old. <laughs> you know, because Scotty has the line, "Oh, you're finding uh, retirement a wee bit lonely, are we?" You know, like yeah, for what a month? For a month, dude. You can't find <laughs> something. Well, Scotty is getting month? it on during that month. I don't know about y'all, <laughs> but we. It's it's but. just surprising to me. I mean. Yeah. It actually, I don't have a, I don't think I have a problem with it. There's nothing in my head that pops out to say like, no, this can't happen. But it's just like, it's, it feels kind of squished in. Because they didn't, yeah. God, I, remind me, in uh, Undiscovered Country, that wasn't one of the stealing the ship movies. <laughs> no. That ship, I mean, the ship was pretty active at that point. I mean, it makes sense to retire it. Since it's not Excelsior class, it can only last a certain amount of time, so. Well, much like the real Constitution, Daniel, it can only last so long. Oh, gosh. 
for a refit. <laughs> the Constitution A. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but but yeah, it's it's a little wacky on the uh, some would say wacky doodle on the uh, the timeline there. But you know, it's all right. It it works out. Um. Anyway, so twenty two ninety three, undiscovered country. We also launch the enter, which is hush. It's still so weird. That doesn't make any sense because then it's like. They're just on the bridge. They're like, hey, I'm an admiral now. Like, months later, who knows? Anyway, moving well, on. I mean, no, they're, um, all, they're all captains, except for Chekhov, who, you know, hit his ceiling. Yeah. So, anyway, they're, they're there. Uh, do you guys want to talk about Harriman? I, mean, look, I, think, uh, I just think it's an interesting... Ferris Harriman's day, day off? Yeah, because, I mean, each captain of the Enterprise... I don't. I don't know. What would we say? Do you think like that's a thing? Because I mean, let's. It's one of the things you have to you know remember. I, obviously, it's just all made up as far as like generations looking back. But let's pretend like it's in the chronology. So you have Kirk. Well, I mean, okay, you have April and and Pike, and then then Kirk, and then I guess Spock or Decker or whatever if you want to play with that. But Kirk again, um, and then uh, and then that's it. I mean, really, the only Enterprise is really Kirk, and so now the Enterprise B, and you have. Okay, I guess we need to get a young guy. We got this John Harriman. And I remember there's a novel that I read, and I don't remember the name of it, where it was like he's the son of an admiral. Is that kind of like how he got his spot? Um, yeah. Well, it, it seems like in the books they kind of push him aside and they focus more on um, Demora Sulu, who gets promoted. Sulu? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so she she gets promoted to first officer like, a handful of years later. Well, we know how she got like her eight, job. Eight years later. And then she becomes the captain in 2311. Um, following, oh, that's which, cool. Okay, have you guys heard of the Tomit incident? Because it sounds freaking I, nuts. I feel like it's been mentioned. but I. I... Um, so the Tomit incident was with the Romulan Star Empire, where the, where the Federation fitted several starships with cloaks and sent them into the neutral zone, basically pounding on the, on the Empire. And at first I'm like, wait, Federation don't have cloaks, but this event is what leads up to the Treaty of Algeron where they pro- A where treaty they, uh, we signed in good faith. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that treaty bound us for 20 years. Look, <laughs> ah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so that leads up to um, Captain Harriman, he steps down, and then Sulu is promoted to captain. That leads to the Treaty of Algeron. Well, it wouldn't it be a captain of an Excelsior-class starship without a Sulu in the chair? <laughs> Apparently. I mean, there's... I mean, I don't know if Sulu had, like, a thousand children, but I don't think he's got one on every Excelsior ship, because there are lots. These these starship family dynasties, I, I tell you what, I <laughs> look, I'm totally unacceptable. Well, and just think how we would treat those army of Sulus. <laughs> Wouldn't uh, they become you know, I, a family? <laughs> let, let me try and we be judged by how their barbecue picnics are held. Let, let me chime in as presumably the only member uh, of Earl Grey that has not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Are you? Um, oh, my God. Oh, sorry. We, broke, we lost <laughs> wow. you there, Daniel. Philip, what do you think about <laughs> oh Captain gosh. Harriman? Jeez. Bueller? So if we're to- <laughs> Bueller? I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the The rest cult- of this episode will be entirely made of Ferris Bueller's Day Off references. All right, everybody. Oh, now oh. you're going to listen to Earl Grey's commentary on Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> 
Um, no, uh, you know, so I will say that, and I don't know how much of people's impression of Harriman is colored by that because it seems to be significant amounts. I'd say ninety nine percent. Oh, wait, wait yeah. is this Daniel? Is this where you make your Spin City argument? I, and I do know, I do recognize him from Spin City because uh, he was on as when I was a kid, but I didn't really care that much then. Um, but I you were s- younger. I will say I th- I feel like he kind of gets a bad rap, even though most people, you know, it's he's not really talked about all that often. But um, I mean, imagine, right? Imagine if you were like following up some living legend like that. that that's a tough job to follow. And you you would feel kind of the way he does in the beginning. I always felt that there was room for growth, at least. That's all I'll say, that there was possibility that he could be a good captain you know he's just kind of he's got this apparently prevalent press that exists in the 23rd century <laughs> uh literally sitting on his bread bread uh bridge watching every move and uh so you know i'd say cut well, him some slack for that first mission well, I think especially since he only has like three components on his ship <laughs> Yeah, I feel he gets the short end of the script. I mean, obviously, it's written in a way where, you know, Kirk has to step in because any other competent captain would just handle the situation. But yeah, it's I I agree with you. Room to grow. And I'm sure he's a great captain. He just we got him on a bad day. That was an most important day in Kirk's life. You know, well, I say life. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was fun. Well, because yeah, I think with Harriman, you have a 50-50. You have a 50%. He's understandably fanboying. I mean, like, he's very respectful, right? Like, and even yeah. when the media starts bothering Kirk and crew, he's like, hey, hey, you know, let him be, let him be. Um, and then he's like, why don't you stand up and make a speech and launch the yeah. ship? Well, yeah, which is just, you know, showing deference, right? I mean, like, if he had just been like, yeah. hey, hey, Kirk and Scotty and, and Chagoff, sit down, shut up, we're in charge now, right? We would have been like, why is Jordy in command? But that's not... We are the new, gen- we are the new generation. Yeah. <laughs> Some would say the next generation, but not yet. They, they were literally the next generation. They were literally the... Anyway, <laughs> but... Um, they were the nexter generation. But of course, you know, then you... Gen nexters. Yes. And, and you have to have him so helpless, though, because of how else can Kirk and others take command? Well, okay, so let's think about this, though, right? So the scene is set up. I mean, imagine it's a publicity stunt, right? They probably told him. Starfleet, I mean, Pluto's not even a planet, yet they're going to circle it and come back. You Star, know. Starfleet probably said, hey, come on, let the old man drive the ship around the block, and you just just sit there. You just have to sit there. And then that was it. And then you all of a sudden. You didn't even go at impulse. So you wouldn't even notice. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, literally. You know, the space hit hits the fan. <laughs> Daniel, and, the and Enterprise <laughs> is the only ship in the quadrant in the solar oh, system. No, again, it's the only ship in the... You know uh, why? Because they were... Uh, the uh, Mars defense perimeter was actually being oh, uh, refitted at the refitted. time. So. Well, what quadrant? Alpha or beta? What side <laughs> of the solar system were they on? Because apparently the line has to go right down the middle. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it goes through the Atlantic Ocean, actually. Is this the prime no quadrant? No one cares about Erdian? the beta quadrant. Nobody <laughs> cares about it. This <laughs> goes anyways, all so, like yeah, the fall so, of the beta quadrant. Wait, what's the beta quadrant? What planets are even in there? No one even. So they're like, yeah, you're going to have these, these three old geezers on the ship 
just for the first mission. Just let the, it's literally around the corner. Just let them, let them pretend like they're driving the ship (laughs) and, uh, you know, just lock the controls out. They won't even know. know. (laughs) Look at me. I'm driving the ship. Beep, 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 beep. He I'm just better. picturing Galaxy Quest where the guy's flying the ship and he's all like, pedal to the metal, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, it, it, that's, I mean, that's something, not quite how they set it up, but I, I can see it. I can see it happening. Um, well, another great piece of continuity with the timeline of the Enterprise B is uh, whilst... Captain Sulu, the second or whatever you want to call it, uh, is is captaining. They do a two year mission to chart the archaeological remains of a proto Vulcan de Brune, which are an offshoot of the Vulcans and Romulans on Baratus Three. If this all sounds familiar, that's the same planet that Gambit takes place on, with with uh, the you know clear your mind don't think you know bad thoughts sonic resonator whatever the heck that thing was called but but which at first i'm like that why would that be the same place but then i remembered well back in the days of the enterprise b that planet was probably far outside federation territory or on the edge so yeah doing a that was deep space back then you know but by the time of uh cards enterprise it's you know just right there so i thought that was cool that again these are most of this is coming from the books but you know star trek referencing self is always good yeah and i think it's curious that that you can have something that doesn't have a big story whether it's the enterprise b or the enterprise c which neither have big stories in and of themselves and so a lot of the fiction can concentrate on that versus like hey you know what we need another five-year mission story because they had missions like every friggin' day, guys, for like five years, every day. It was a new adventure. And a class two comment. Mm-hmm. Well, this is certainly worthy of our time. You know, I know this is a Star Trek podcast, but when you mentioned, oh, you know, the planet from Gambit, I was thinking, I was thinking X-Men. And I was like, wow, I really, you know, and I know there actually is a TNG X-Men crossover, <laughs> which I've never read, but I really actually am interested in it. But that would be super awesome if it was just like... I'm just picturing Gambit accidentally like reaching for a handful of Earth and he accidentally charges the entire planet and just goes... <laughs> I know it's not ooh, quite how his power bad, works. But. Marshall. <laughs> Imagine like he must go through so many comm badges. Like it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> every time he's like, he needs... He's like... Gambit to Enterprise quickly before hurry, my combat explodes. Ah, Majari. Another combat for me, please. He just has a permanent, like, scar burn on his. <laughs> He's got a special undersuit that's like a plate of, like, duranium just to protect himself. Oh, that's canon now. That's canon. If Gambit was a member of the Enterprise crew. Gambit would not be really good at, like, con or ops. He would just be blowing everything up all like, the time. It's like, Gambit, can you scan for life forms? Life forms? Ah, yeah, we're going to need another console in about three seconds. Mon Capitan. 
really, I think it's Captain, actually, Gambit. I, I don't know why you insist on... Uh, mon Capitan. <laughs> That's funny. Like, only Q is allowed to call me that. <laughs> well, rounding out the timeline of the Enterprise B, uh, Captain Sulu gives up command for a year to care for her terminally ill paternal grandmother... So she goes to Starfleet Medical for a year because that's, I guess, what you do when you work on the Enterprise and you're high up. It's just everyone needs to go spend a year at Starfleet Medical. Uh, then, and this is where they transfer transfer it to uh, Captain Johnson, which that's the name that was obviously seen uh, in a lot more, like the what's the term like the star starfleet computers and such when they were talking about the B because obviously generations hadn't happened yet. So I guess he had a, a very long stint on the enterprise B and patrolled the Cardassian border, maybe during the bloody Cardassian war. It doesn't say maybe he but caused the Cardassian war. No, I would not <laughs> be surprised. And uh, they offered assistance to many Bajorans fleeing Cardassian annexation of Bajor. And then what's strange about the enterprise B is that we don't know what happened to it. It is presumed lost in 2329, presumed destroyed after the crew reports contact with an unknown infection. That's all I know. You know, Kirk style just went off into a star and then was gone. Wait, are, are, you, Maybe it was are you saying they went to the Delta Quadrant? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's like 30, it's, they get back the same type of Voyager, but except since they left in 2329, it's been like 100 plus years and the ship's like It's a generational apart. ship, it's damaged all over the place, and they're like, really, seven, seven years, and you look, you look, you look great. Yeah, really, you, get, you got all the shortcuts, good job, Voyager. Because we earned it, like, I mean, like, we earned it, I know you got here like five minutes before us, but I don't think it should count. But this With is our actually duotronic circuitry, circuitry and this is cool, right? This I mean this this kind of missing piece of history is cool because we didn't know what the B was, we didn't know what the C was for a long time. And it was cool when, you know, the reason yesterday's enterprise is such a great I mean there's a lot of reasons yesterday's enterprise is such a great episode, but one of the reasons is because it fills in a huge gap of Star Trek lore and history. And, you know, some people might say that that's actually just kind of a background thing. And, and yeah, that's probably true, but it's, but it also kind of like, it fills in this world a little bit. And so, I mean, come on now, we're getting a new Star Trek series in, in 2017. And this is something that they could, Oh, some infection. So they could have fallen through some time hole or something. You're a time hole. The new, <laughs> and the new crew can come find them and then then it would fill in oh where did the enterprise be and i mean you could have like a whole season of of stories about these people out of time and and you know I, i'm just there are bits and pieces of star trek that still aren't filled in like example everything that happens between first contact and enterprise or everything that happens pre first contact post our time um, the real, you know, World War Three, that kind of stuff. But, anyways, there are things, there are pieces of the Star Trek timeline that aren't filled in. That I like that they leave open for the future timelines, the future yeah. episodes and adventures and those kinds. That's of That's one things. of the things Star Trek does very well is they don't paint, they they don't fill in all the boxes right off the bat. I mean, 
yeah, we knew that there were a couple of ships between Kirk's Enterprise and the D, but we didn't, they didn't like introduce us to the pilot of the next generation with this is what happened to this ship. And then this begat this and this begat that. And, you know, it's like, no, we don't need that. Tell us the story when you're ready to tell the story. And that's what they did. And it worked. I mean, I always think about what if they had gone with the original Roddenberry um, or Justin or whoever it was um, of like the 25th century enterprise, like whatever. I don't even know what, no, like seven or whatever they were calling it. A G or yeah, something. I think they used a number, honestly, the first time around. But anyway, um, I'm like, that would have been a lot of holes to fill there. Like 150 years of enterprises. Um, so I look at it. Uh, yeah, I think if you move it too far in the future, then you pretty much preclude having any sort of crossover with previous characters like they're all dead yeah and so that spot. yeah and remind me so if we're saying b is like right after a um because that's how the alphabet works like literally like yeah. they high-fived in the space dock as one went in the other went actually out. yeah the enterprise b was actually originally called the uh yorktown daniel but they decided since the enterprise a was being decommissioned they were gonna <laughs> yeah um <laughs> but but like how soon was the C and how soon like where's the gap because I know there's a gap between one of those is either well it basically slowly expands and I've done my research so I actually have this dates <laughs> so the Enterprise B is lost in 2329 and the Enterprise C is commissioned and launched in 2332 so three years later you go from zero years to three years then. The Enterprise C is destroyed in 2344, and the Enterprise D is not launched until 2364. So, yeah, they're so like, we lost two Enterprises. 20 years later. Maybe we should stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, so they, they don't have another one for 20 years after that, which is a huge and span. Then they, and then, then there's only like a two-year gap between the D and the E. Yeah, I believe it. I believe yeah, enough so. time. Only a couple enough time years. for Worf to leave. They're like he's like, man, I don't know if I can recover losing the Enterprise. I'm going to go. Bye, guys. See ya. <laughs> anyway, we got a new Enterprise. Everyone, let's go. Oh, we got a new ship. Oh, where'd yeah. go? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> this one has chairs. Worf. Oh, sorry, you wanted to leave. Oh, oh, okay. We're sorry. You got chairs at ops there. <laughs> Looks, Worf. We we installed this chair for you. Oh, you've oh you've already left. Oh, you're, oh, you're, you're gone. We am sorry. By by Worf. Yeah, so yeah, it's 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 a bit of a, a gap difference, but um well we kind of touched on it uh once, but I wanted to to circle back one last time about the other Excelsior classes we see. Some with uh was it love handles, some without, but I think was the Mel I think the Melbourne was a. Uh, uh, let's, I don't know. Uh, let's go to the books. So, so does that mean like they're married if they have love handles? Because you don't have to try anymore. Is that <laughs> they just let themselves go? Yeah. You know? They're like, look, I've I've been named the Enterprise. I don't need to to really try anymore. Yeah, the Melbourne is an Excelsior. So is the Potemkin, which was that one that uh one of the ones Riker was offered. Riker, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, too, maybe yeah. he he wasn't. Ex- maybe that explains it. It wasn't that he wasn't ready. He just didn't like Excelsior classes. <laughs> like, look, I don't want to go two steps down, Picard. I mean, we got up to the galaxy class. I don't want to go back. Well, of course, he was. Uh, he then, was first officer of the Hood, so he had his Excelsior time experience. And so maybe, maybe, yeah, he put in his time. He's ready for upward and onward to whatever Titan class that was. But 
Yeah, and then the crazy horse, which I'm pretty sure is destroyed as well. A lot of these are destroyed, pretty much. Um, the Gorkon, which whoa, there's a ship called the is that Gorkon. Deep Space Nine. Yeah, the USS Gorkon. I don't remember well, that at all. No. Well, well, the chant. Um, well, that would be maybe because of Chancer Gorkon. That's and the, presumably, yeah. I mean, like in his honor or something. And then the USS Intrepid, which is funny because that's also a class, but here no there. Um, yeah, Melbourne. Pretty much half the ships they list in Wolf 359 were <laughs> Excelsior, I'm sure, as they were battered away. Well, y- the Borg do not fear the Excelsior class, let's just say that. Well, and I mean, again, you know, it's, it's because of development and everything, but I sh- should we posit that by, well... Deep Space Nine kind of messes this up, but at least by first contact, there's really Excel because there's no Excelsior that I can remember in first contact. That the Battle of Sector Zero Zero One, if we call it that. You're right. I it's it's mostly like the the Steam Runner and the Akira and like newer ships. Um, well, maybe maybe they were like the backup fleet in case the main fleet gets wiped out. Because you know what, that happens a lot when we're going up against the Borg. Um, maybe they were protecting Bolius Prime or something. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <clears throat> you know, there there is one thing that isn't in your notes, Darren, and I don't know if you were going to mention it or not. No, there's many things not in my notes, but go ahead. <laughs> um, but uh, one thing to me that always, especially leading up to the film, but now that we've actually seen it and know what it does, um, I, re- I always felt like, the vengeance from into darkness was kind of a, uh, an homage to the Excelsior class, but as instead of a ship, it's more of like a bottle opener. It's got that weird <laughs> oh, gosh. spacing yes. on the, on the saucer section, but it is in a lot of ways, very Excelsior esque. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's still got that traditional JJ kind of zigzag side profile, but it's it's just huge. It is crazy big. Um, it has the recessed deflector and the bigger nacelles. Yeah. Not not bigger, Does, but doesn't it have the like shutters to doors over its deflectors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is weird. Uh, it doesn't really make any sense. But it's so overpowered. It's just not even funny. But <laughs> I just thought. It yeah. Was no, that's true. Yeah, the vengeance. I don't. Maybe just because of the Excelsior being so long, whereas the Vengeance isn't like elongated like that. So it's hard for me to kind of compare them, but I see what you're saying. In Star Trek Three, will Sulu be in command of the Vengeance A or something? They would rename the Vengeance the uh, Excelsior. I guess, the apology. Vengeance is is kind of angry. Yeah. Is it kind of an angry? Yeah, I mean, it'd be like I mean, it'd be it, like naming on. a ship the Defiant. That Jesus just thought. <laughs> Well, well, good thing they didn't name a ship the Defiant. They named a life buoy the Defiant, so you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> life buoy class. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, well, guys, uh, it's been a lot of fun talking about the Enterprise B. Any any final thoughts? I know you talked a bit about the Vengeance. Anything else I missed in my expansive notes? I mean, we could talk more about the Tomid incident, but, you know, not, not that exciting. I find, like, most of that is cloaked in rumor. The B is the most interesting of Starfleet history, 
as, as at least as far as the enterprise is concerned that we don't really get to know about um you know we don't really know what the seed does other than how it ends but that's kind of a that's not untrivial that's a pretty significant thing we know how the seed you know what happens at the end of the seed but we don't know what happens at the end of the b so like i mentioned before it's kind of a really it's kind of a tease that we know oh there's this ship and it obviously warranted to keep the enterprise name going who knows maybe it would have happened or wouldn't have happened on you know kirk's name alone but there's there's always like a hint of something more and there's a story to be told there and and maybe the the books have done it uh so far but i would really like to see it on screen yeah my my final thought is is that's an interesting point where i mean we know the enterprise a was brought you know like but the enterprise a i feel wasn't like oh look we're continuing the enterprise tradition it's like it it was basically the same ship but just no, no. you know rebuilt Darren, Darren, it's a totally different ship <laughs> no it is not it's Stop the exact it. same ship with an a plastered on it stop but, your nonsense philip but with the b that's i think where they're really like we're going to continue this tradition it's not going to be kirk's ship it's going to be this you know lineage of um you know of the f- the federation and the enterprise and i mean that also kind of ties in with like the the starfleet symbol and like the com badges how they all adopted kirk's com badge because of the exploits of you know, that crew and their heroism, you know, but because before that everyone had their own design and, you know, different, different takes. So as the popular kid in school, you know, the Federation all, you know, conforms themselves around that design. But anyway, it's, it's interesting. I I would like to know more about the Enterprise B and uh, where it drifted off to unknown infection. Could that be like the naked now infection? Slash naked time slash naked whatever. Well, talking about the one seven zero one B is not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, the orb. He requested, you know, a Bajoran officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose. You know, he understands. You make this their own. We can't I'm glad just... he did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Bajoran officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> the ready room. Actually, I think at this point, Vulcan Love Slave was probably just a short story, right? It hadn't been turned into a full. <laughs> That's blown right. It's not a full novel. blown novel at that point. Yeah, it's yeah. just fanfic. It's just fanfic. Yeah, just fanfic. Point, so, right? <laughs> <laughs> just on the internet, people started writing after first contact there in Montana. To the journey. It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis allowed us not. Sorry. Commentary, Trek Stars. The fact that this came out right in between Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve, where you've got filmmakers who are at the very tip-top of their game. Oh boy, here comes the Soderbergh speech, everybody. Strap yourselves in, we're going to Soderbergh. The 602 Club. But I mean, we we talk about the ending and we're sort of dancing around it here. I, I have to know, because... When this book first came out, and every time I look at the cover, I'm reminded of this. This is the first time 
I can consciously remember a piece of artwork having to do with the story spoiling the ending for me. Literary Treks. Just so many great lessons here about, look, life is not safe, but it's good if you can get through it, you know, and bind together with those people around you and go through it together. That's how you make it, is together. Women at Warp. She's the communications officer first. She can be Spock's girlfriend second. So how do you think people would respond if you said, describe who Carol Marcus is after seeing this movie? Uh, she looks nice in her bra. Meta Trex. I looked it up in ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca, and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zoom. Visit the Trek.fm website for the full Trek experience. You can view our podcast directory to stream the audio from all of our shows. If you would like to contact us, just go to trek.fm slash contact. From there, choose Message to a Trek FM Show and select Earl Grey. These messages will be relayed by Starfleet to the three of us. In social media, you'll find us on facebook.com slash trek.fm or join our Facebook listener discussion group called The Babel Conference. Find it by searching The Babel Conference on Facebook. Now let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor this week, Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. This is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Now, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. There's one more way you can directly help us to keep Earl Grey coming to you each and every week, and that's through becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a trekfm patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all our great content. So please become a patron and visit patreon.com slash trekfm today. So, Philip, if someone was interested in finding out how you're going to make an NC public servant joke about the Enterprise where would they find um you? they can find me on twitter um and my handle there is nc public servant that's nc for not the c but the b <laughs> brilliant i couldn't have done it any better myself and daniel if someone wanted to talk to you about the dynasty of the sulus where would they find you online well you know uh they would find me on twitter as well and that's at one up dan as in the number one, as in I have the number one child, so they deserve to have the same position as me. Ship. <laughs> position. Sorry. Where I did tried. you find time for a family? I'm the only one who found time for a family. No, no. That's not quite true. So, if you wanted to find me on Twitter, because 
I'm sensing a theme here. You can find me under username Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. Well, guys, I just, uh, I wish, I wish there were some more episodes we could watch the the B in, but uh, I'm just going to have to watch Generations to get some more of those love well, handles. That's usually considered the B movie oh. of TNG. Oh. But then it turns into the D movie? <laughs> but then they destroy it. Then it becomes the E? Like, is that even... Well, it's like, you know, elementary school where you had like E for excellent and then like S for satisfactory. E for barely trying. So we'll go with E for excellent. Live long and prosper. Thank you, so. End game. Fire. Fire.